Welcome to All Together Now. This is Eleanor Lacane. Many Americans are worried about our country and wonder, what can I do? Our guests today are focused like a laser beam on answering that question for us. Janet Singer and Lisa Ulrich are co-founders of a group called Crimson Goes Blue, organizing members of the Harvard community to get involved in elections. Our guests might be helpful to you in two ways. First, with the Crimson Goes Blue, they're creating a model of organizing graduates from their college to get involved in elections at this critical time. You could learn from their model to organize members of your college or your high school or any group of people really. By engaging other people, you can expand your impact on the election and the country. Secondly, they could help you because they are researching the candidates where our contribution of time and money really matters. Many of us are flooded with requests for contributions and time, and we don't know which candidates to support. Where can our modest contribution of time and money really make a difference? Our guests today have done extensive analysis to identify races where even a small contribution matters. We'll talk about both their model of organizing as well as their recommendations for key races in this conversation. Janet Singer is the political director and Lisa Ulrich is the managing director of the Crimson Goes Blue group. Janet Singer and Lisa Ulrich, welcome to All Together Now. Thank you so much for having Thank us, you. Eleanor. I love the work you two are doing. I think you're like the Women's Brigade to Save America here. So thank you for that. I'm so eager to share what you're doing with our listeners. Um, let's start first off in my description of Crimson Goes Blue. Is there anything you want to add before we dive in? I think you gave a good description. You know, our mission really is to harness the talents of our alumni community at Harvard to forge a more just American democracy. But we think there's lots of communities that could get together to do that. And by having the experience of being in college together in our history, that makes our group want to be together and do this work together. And people who have never been active before have come in because they just enjoy being together and, and reliving the old days sometimes, but also feeling like we have a responsibility to help our society and to bring social justice. And we do that through the democracy lane. Yeah, and well, we know this election is a really important time for people to get engaged. So um, let's talk about why you think this election is so critical. Yeah, I mean, of course, we're always told this election is the most important election of your life. And it always is, you know, and this time around, it's because our democracy is on the ballot. I don't think we've ever had so much of a threat from authoritarian um, members of the Republican Party and so many people who are actually running for office who deny the legitimacy of the last election. And right now there's only one party that is the pro-democracy party in our country and that's the Democrats. Um, so we're at a time where our democracy is threatened and also our rights are being threatened. 
you know, we have seen the recent court cases, uh, healthcare is being criminalized. There's talk that women don't have the freedom to travel from state to state. It's very frightening. And I think a lot of us used to depend on the court as the backstop for excesses in our government. And now we need to count on Congress and the president. And so it's, it's just so important that we get Democrats in office up and down the ballot because of that. Absolutely. And, you know, I say to people, no matter what issue you're concerned about, whether it's women's reproductive rights or climate and the environment, or whatever your issue is, you need to also be engaged in democracy and elections because who gets elected has a direct impact on our lives. So I, whatever you're doing, getting engaged in the election this year is critically important. So I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I'm getting flooded with requests about really hundreds of candidates running for office this year. And I know it's critical, but it's also can be very hard for people who don't focus on this full time to figure out who can I really support that matters? You know, everybody's got limited time, limited money. And you've done extensive research on um, which are the key candidates we really should back where our um, time and money could really have an impact and make a critical difference. Let's talk about some of the key races and let's begin with the US Senate. Um, which Senate candidates do you think people should be supporting right now? So um, thank you for the question. I, I think we have to break that into two types of support, right? There is financial support, which is very, very important. And really, if candidates don't raise enough money, they can't run the kind of campaign they need to run. But there's also candidates who really need your time. And they're not always the same, right? There are we know who's going to be in the close elections. Some of those people are going to win or lose because enough people worked for them and they have plenty of money and others don't have enough money and that's going to be the critical thing. So if you're donating your time, <clears throat> you know, we know there's basically seven toss-up races in the Senate that you should donate your time to and those are in Arizona, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, um, Nevada, and New Hampshire, and maybe you can add in Ohio, and some people would argue to add in Florida. So those are key races that are gonna be close. Um, but when we look at money, some of those candidates have raised a ton of money, and they're really fine, and they're gonna be fine because they're charismatic and they're gonna keep raising. Um, and others have a little more trouble. So, you know, if I had to name kind of the top four Senate races, I would probably say Fetterman in Pennsylvania. Um, he started the race um, after a tough primary. And so he, people who are in primaries spend down their money and then they need money when they're running in the general. Um, Mark Kelly in Arizona, definitely gonna need our time. Raphael Warnock in Georgia, definitely gonna need our time. And Cortez Masto in Nevada is gonna need time and money. So that's where I'd put it at the, on the Senate races. Um, and I, I like to bring up to people that you get all these pleas for money and mm -hmm. we Democrats end up 
wasting about half the money that they donate to candidates. And that's because we give it to races where we have no chance, like Amy Breath against, uh, you know, that, the man who shall not be named <laughs> in Kentucky, who was the Senate uh, leader. But, you know, we spent nearly $100 million on that race and she lost it by close to 20 points. So put your money in the tight races. Um, and I guess I should say one more thing, which is if you want recommendations, we have a portfolio and you can find it on our website, crimsongoesblue.org and click the button that says fund democracy. Fund democracy, I love the sound of that. So, uh, so that's great. So you've identified in the Senate these, um, really it sounds like four key races for, for money. And I think you're right, you know, we don't wanna be putting our money where there's no chance of winning, um, nor do we wanna put money in where it's a given that they're gonna win or they have a ton of money already. So that money is not gonna be a deciding factor. So, uh, so we wanna support the Senate candidates in Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, and Georgia as a core. And there may be others, you know, people have a favorite. I know I have a good friend who's supporting um, the woman who's now the Democratic nominee for Senate in North Carolina. So yes, uh, Sherry Beasley, Sherry Beasley, who's the Supreme Court Justice. And, you know, so we're not saying don't fund others, but these would be the four core. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, you, you're asking me to limit the numbers. I, I, I would recommend a few more races, but but there's way more races that I would recommend against throwing your money at. Right. So yeah. I want to do the toss up races. And I think those are the, the Senate races, but the down ballot races are so critical this right. time. And your money goes farther. You know, if you're supporting a state legislative candidate, those campaigns don't cost much compared to, you know, the hundred million dollars that some of the Senate campaign races are going to cost. Right. So your dollar can really go far. And I want to talk about the down ballot, but before we do that, just are there any House candidates? We know there's only like a four seat margin that Democrats control the House. We could really lose control of the House. Um, which of the races, if any, are you think are the critical toss up races in the House to back? Yeah, you know, the House, it's much harder to narrow it down like that. There's probably about 40 or so competitive races. Mm -hmm. um, so in our portfolio, we recommend um, different state how the congressional funds, and then they get divided among the toss-up candidates. So there are some states that have more toss-up races, like Pennsylvania, New York, California, um, and others that have just one. But that one also, you know, needs help. Um, mm -hmm. I don't think I could really narrow it down for you and, and say give to these three mm -hmm. candidates. Um, but the, there are enough toss-up races. Make sure if you're giving money to congressional candidates, you're not giving to the person running against Marjorie Taylor Greene. You know, that race is gonna go to her. We are not gonna get her out no matter how much money you might wanna donate to get her out. Look at the tight races. Our portfolio actually changes quarterly mm -hmm. um, so that we can look at how much money different candidates have raised and adjust um, then. 
Um, right now, the, the races, we're, we're about to change our portfolio in terms of the congressional races. And we're looking at California, one in Colorado, one in North Carolina, one in New Mexico, one in Pennsylvania, and one in Texas. So I think that those are much harder for people to research on their own. Um, right. Janet, really, go ahead. Thanks. We had a really illuminating discussion among our team the other day um, about the contrast between a Senate majority and the House. And Janet helped to explain, and I want to ask you to do that again, why the margin of victory or loss in the House actually make, can make a great difference in the amount of continued leverage and in um, uh, hopes and prospects for the policy work that Democrats are doing. So Janet, do you want to explain that a little? Because it was very illuminating. Like just a lot. There are different kinds of margin. The margin makes a difference in the opportunities That's we have. Right. So, yeah, so I think we have a really good um, likelihood of holding on to the Senate. We have a much lower likelihood of holding on to the House. But there's a real difference if we if if the, there's a Republican majority by five seats or by 45 seats. When you have just five seats, you've got 435 members who you can probably find five reasonable Republicans. Um, I think it was just yesterday that there was a bill that came out about um, making a federal law about same-sex marriage, and a whole bunch of Republicans voted for that, right? You, we, what you see in the press is all the bills that we can't get through, but. The House and Senate actually pass bills every day together. And you know, our majority is slim right now. And their majority, if they win, hopefully will be slim as well so that we can still get through. Maybe not everything we desire, but if you have to work from a 40 seat deficit, that is killer. <laughs> it's just really hard to make that difference up. Right, exactly. All right, great. Well, let's talk now about the what's happening in the states because uh, there's some major races happening, and I, I think Democrats have not paid as much attention as we have needed to uh, about some of these state races. I'd like to begin with any secretaries of state because you know mentioned about the problems of election interference or the suppression of the vote. There's concerted effort, at least eight Republicans are in a network of groups, candidates running for Secretary of State with the deliberate intention to take over the state machinery and make it harder for Democrats to vote and to win. So are you backing any Secretary of State races this year? Yeah, um, we, let, let me step back for one sec, which is we wanna promote election integrity. The rules around how elections get certified vary from state to state. <clears throat> Excuse me. So Secretary of State is a critical um, office in some of the states. Governor is the critical office in others. And the state legislature is the critical office in yet others. So um, you don't want to just look at one thing, but the, the secretaries of state that are going to matter the most are in Nevada, Arizona, Michigan, and Georgia. Nevada, uh, the candidate is Aguilar, and in Georgia, it's B. Wynn, 
Arizona and Michigan haven't had their primaries yet. That's happening August 2nd, I believe. So we, we don't have candidates there, but in those states, the Secretary of State plays a really important role. Um, when we look at state houses, um, it's also true in those four states. Um, and there's, there's real concern about election integrity in probably seven or eight states. So Nevada, Arizona, Michigan, Wisconsin, Georgia, North Carolina, Pennsylvania, um, those are really, and Texas. Um, we're a small enough group that we're not working in every single one of those states, but we certainly encourage our members who live in those places to, to work there. Um, and then for state houses, you're right, the Republicans have spent years and years building victories in state houses. So it's so disproportionate how many state houses are controlled by Republicans compared to the population uh, that's being represented by them. Um, and it's, it's hard to flip state houses, but the most flippable right now are in Michigan, New Hampshire, and Pennsylvania. Michigan, Pennsylvania, and New Hampshire. Yeah. And then, you know, the other things to talk about are the governor's races where really uh, there's a critical race for governor in Pennsylvania. We have a great candidate in Josh Shapiro, and they have a terrible candidate, who I hope. It would just be a disaster if he was elected governor. Um, we're supporting Evers in Wisconsin. Wisconsin uh, has a Republican dominated house, but not a veto proof house. And Evers has been the control by vetoing some terrible legislation that has come out of the state houses. So we need to keep him in desperately um, to prevent that. And uh, there's Sisolak in Nevada. And Whitmer in Michigan, you know, Whitmer has been just a hero. She has, has really um, saved that state from some really terrible, terrible laws. Um, the good news for her is that she has raised a ton of money. People are really backing her from all over the country. So I think she has a very, very good chance of continuing in the governorship. Great. So just to summarize for our listeners, for the governor's races, we're looking at the Democratic candidates in Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Nevada, and Michigan. So we want to get behind them. It's really going to matter. You know, the governor is just so critical in so many of these states. Um, fantastic. So um, do you want to make any other comment about candidates? Like, do you have a map of these? Like, on your website, is there, where can the listeners go? Because this is a lot to absorb by hearing it. What's yeah. the website that listeners can go to and see this? And I, as you say, you review it quarterly. There may be some changes as we go along. Where can we see the maps of which of the races you're targeting? Yeah. So the maps are in two places on our website. You go to Crimson Goes Blue and you click on Act. You will see a list of states and then you can click on the states and you'll see a list of candidates that we're supporting in those states. If you go to crimsongoesblue.org and you click on uh, information or resources, you will see a dropdown that has election integrity and the election integrity page has a map 
of the seven states that are going to matter the most and which of the races, Secretary of State, Governor, and state legislative races are, going, are in play in those states and matter in those states. And then finally, for the donations, which like I said, there's some difference between where we recommend you donate and where we recommend you work. So donations are under fund democracy. <clears throat> so, and there you can find all the details, all the details. And, and as we change it, you see new details because you know, early in the election season, you wanna give to candidates so they can build up their staff and really get a field game, a ground game going. And then later in elections, we're looking at who hasn't raised enough and, and who really still needs the help. The other thing I'd add about our Fund Democracy initiative, which we call the Crimson Goes Blueprint Portfolio, is that we um, have selected grassroots groups that are primarily in these swing states that have an on the ground presence and are working closely in community to uh, register and mobilize voters and often have a broader um, portfolio of things that they do really to strengthen the community. And I think of this, my husband's a landscape contractor, so I think of this a little bit like enriching the very soil of the democracy in these states. Um, and one of the things that makes me really excited about this is that, you know, the average person, even the most well-informed person, would not necessarily know about these groups, and yet they are the critical um, you know, sort of the longer term uh, supporters of the efforts of these states to both become more democratically involved and support Democrats. Um, and I was gonna add something else, but anyway, um, I am proud that we're able to, to kind of help people to have that kind of knowledge and to um, share their resources with these groups that have so much credibility on the ground. Absolutely. And as someone who's run statewide campaigns, I know how critical that groundwork is and the importance of the field in winning elections. It's just absolutely vital. And I would say if there are any Republicans or independents listening in or you know them, they're friends of yours or family members, um, that's an area that even if they can't bring themselves to support a Democratic candidate, they could support organizations that are about getting out the vote. And that should be nonpartisan. And you've got some of those great races. In fact, I would go so far as to say all of our educational institutions at this point should be encouraging voter registration and get out the vote nonpartisan, just get people out and voting in the polls to have our democracy be more vibrant and uh, have people more engaged. So I, I love that you're including those organizations to do that work. I'd like to shift now to your model of organizing because I've been very impressed. I appreciate <laughs> your invitation to be in, in, included in some of the amazing events you've had online which show how you engage people in your community to get interested in the election and get involved in way, one way or another. Um, so first, like I, I wanna hear the many ways you do it, but let's start with these incredible events. 
online events you had, they're like so fun. <laughs> and you, you got music, you got poetry and Amanda Gorman, the poet in there. Uh, you just make it really fun to be involved. Talk a little bit about that model of engaging your community. Sure. Let me start by telling you a tiny bit about our origin story, because I think it'll help you to kind of understand where events fall. Um, Janet and I and a, and a set of other uh, classmates at our 35th Harvard reunion were struck by the number of people who said, I'm terrified that Trump might be reelected, but I have no idea what to do. And so it was with that um, challenge that we decided to say, well, let's organize our class um, to because of this hunger and this desire to, to have sort of guidance, direction, and also community. We formed a Facebook page and in literally, I think less than a year, we had 700 members of our class who were involved in three key elections, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina, and subsequently Georgia. What they told us after the election was that because we created this communal atmosphere and gave them um, highly uh, curated information, they did more, gave more, and involved more other people than they might have if they were kind of out in the netherworld where there's plenty of volunteer opportunities, but they didn't have that kind of sense of glue and sense of like shared mission. So the events, um, the events were kind of an innovation that came from one of our members who actually is a filmmaker. And she said, wow, especially during the pandemic, wouldn't it be powerful if we could uh, enlist members of the Harvard community, ranging from political leaders like Jamie Raskin, to um, academics, to artists, who would at key milestones in these races, um, come give us a chance to come together so that we could both provide guidance and direction, provide perspective, but also frankly, build joy. Um, we've been so fortunate that nobody has said no when we've asked them if they would join us. Um, people ranging from Amanda Gorman to John Lithgow to um, help me. Judge, Judge, you know, people. Maura Healy. Exactly, Maura Healy, our, our um, attorney general. You know, they all are very inspired by the notion of alumni organizing. And we in turn have discovered that when alumni come to these events, they really feel that they're benefiting from the content, the set of the sense of joint mission, um, that sort of, especially frankly, at a time where there's so much bad news, like we try to give them hope and, and sources of activism. So we have events, every few, big events every few months. And now we're also using things like um, gathering around uh, for instance, tonight's hearings as a chance to be kind of in a communal living room, albeit virtually. Um, yeah, so. and I think the, the upbeat tone of the events yeah. mm -hmm. is really important for people. We do not spend a lot of time Trump bashing, doom scrolling. You know, we talk about why we think we can win, what we have to do to make that happen. So the people are, have this balance of hope and urgency. You know, we're not minimizing what's at stake here, um, but we're giving people a path forward. I think people feel really overwhelmed with all the bad news and it just makes them like wanna curl up on the couch. And we 
bring, you know, singers and poets and all this to, to bring some spark where people just end up feeling inspired and like, yes, I want to be with this group of people doing this kind of work. It's really worked for us. Yeah, and uh, you were kind enough to invite me to your State of the Union event where people could do kind of a watch party through your community. And um, I brought uh, my friend David Kuznet, who is chief speechwriter for President Clinton in the White House. So, you know, you can get people engaged. Um, it's really fun. You get kind of the inside behind the story, behind the scene view on things. And I think it's really important. And um, for our listeners here, you can do events, whatever your college is or your high school or community group, your own network of people creates an organization in a way, it's a group that you can do events. And you know, you may not be getting these high level people, but you could act, probably access them. You'd be surprised yeah. how many people wanna help uh, so, um, you, or you could find a clipping of them on YouTube or an interview they did that you can put that you can organize. I'm talking to you listeners. Uh, you can organize an event for your network of friends and associates, put together a simple zoom event, have a clip of an interview that you think is interesting. You can use the portfolio that these two brilliant women have put the work into figuring out which races they're telling you, go to their website, you can see those, pick which ones you also wanna back and you know con contribute, encourage your network to get involved through that too. So I see this could really go viral that if each of us as a citizen becomes our own communication center mm -hmm. and we take the lead, we take the charge in our own community of people, whatever that may be, college or our friends and we put on events and invite people to to come so um with that in mind talk a little bit more go ahead Jan, about can i make a quick comment which yeah. is one i want to give credit to swing left who's been an incredible partner in crunching the numbers and helping us choose the races you know it is not us alone doing that we really rely on the expertise of some other really smart people at really great groups um, and the thing, what you're talking about in terms of inviting your own communities in is, you know, in the business called relational organizing. And what we know is people are much more likely to do something because somebody they know told them to do it. Mm -hmm. And so when you use your own networks, when you look at these swing states, even if you don't live there, maybe you went to college with someone who does. You reach out to somebody like that and say, we need you to get involved. You live in Wisconsin, you know, Wisconsin is going to, you know, determine the state of our country. Um, people are much, much more likely to respond to that. So yes, using your networks. I mean, we happen to have this alumni network, but it could be your book group. It could be your church. It could be anything. Mm -hmm. The more we're all talking about the election, not in doom and gloom terms, but in here are the races we need to get to, you know, if we get 52 senators this time around, Democratic senators, then we can pass all kinds of things that are really going to help the American people. So absolutely. And I meant to mention that when we talked about the Senate races right now, we're literally split down the middle, 50 Democrats, 50 Republicans in the Senate. 
the vice president is the 51st vote if there's a tie vote who happens to be Democrat right now. But we need to up those margins. There's so many great pieces of legislation that the Democrats have passed in the House and then they go to, they call it the graveyard in the Senate because it just dies in the Senate. But uh, if we could get just a few more Democrats into the Senate, they could be passing all this great legislation, including like reproductive rights uh, that's passed the House to codify Roe and the right to reproductive um, freedom. But it's getting blocked in the Senate right now. But we need to get just a few more of those votes could matter. And in every race, I mean, as someone who's been involved in as a campaign manager and helping to run elections, if people only really understood the power of their vote, and I talk to people all the time and they go, well, uh, I'm very worried about the country, but what can I do? And I say, well, first vote. And they go, well, yeah, 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 I vote. Well, don't take it for granted. Voting is free power. And there are races that are decided by one vote. Um, the woman in the Virginia who ran for a state representative right. in Virginia, and it was literally tied the exact same number. And then they had to pick a number out of a bucket about who would win. And the Republican got the seat because he pulled it out of the, the hat there. So if just one more person had voted for her, she would have been a state representative. And that one state representative decided who was the majority in the House in Virginia. So it became Republican majority controlled. Then they control the agenda. They control all the committees, all for the sake of one vote. So your vote really matters. Don't take it for granted. Make sure you do it. Um, and. Uh, and encourage everybody you know to vote. So um, with that little aside, let's talk more. Lisa, you're the managing director. What do you see has been effective about getting people engaged, involved, donating, voting, everything we need to be doing to win? Yeah, I think there is, um, you know, I feel like we are a counterbalance to the sense of doom. <laughs> this question of, well, God, is there anything I can do? Mm -hmm. And the ways that we're trying to do that is through, as Janet mentioned, through hope, inspiration, curated opportunities. Look, I sometimes liken us to a financial advisor for um, political giving and doing, because what we're trying to do is help people to understand the landscape and where they can most effectively use their time and money. And uh, now one of the things that is most exciting to me is that we're starting also to think about how we can help our members, each of whom has their own, many of whom have very massive networks, whether it's through their work, civic institutions, other classmates, to become more effective messengers on behalf of the Democrats. Um, because I think if there's one area the Democrats <laughs> could, could improve on, it's, you know, it, it's helping to codify what it is that they have achieved mm -hmm. and what their vision is, especially around opportunity and rights for the country. And so we've started um, helping to guide people to literally, like, how do you explain? I was recently at a wedding, people were like, oh, the Democrats. 
And so I was able to sit down and say, look, let's talk about what we have achieved. Let's talk about the circumstances in which it achieved. And let's really frame the selection as what we will do for the country and what the Republicans could do if they won. And so we are helping to reframe, teaching people how to frame the choice and how to explain the uh, benefits and the, uh, the, the, the achievements that the Democrats have already garnered, even in the toughest circumstances with very, very narrow margins. So I hope I've answered your question. Yeah, no, I think that's really important. And so it's like the Republicans want to frame this election that this is a referendum on Biden because Biden is unpopular even among Democrats. Um, but really, it should be an election about what you're saying, what the Democrats have achieved and what the plan is, what they'll do if we can get more people elected and versus what's going to happen if the Republicans get control again. So um, I think that's exactly the right framing on it. Janet, you want to speak to that? Yeah. The way we're going to win this election is by making this a choice. This isn't about what you think about Biden. This is about a choice between us and them. And we also need to really frame that choice and name the true villains in what is going on here. So you can have Democrats who want you to be able to vote, want you to have control decisions over your own personal life, healthcare choices, want you to have a minimum wage that actually can support your families, all those things. We are running against people who wanna take away your vote, say that an election that was run free and fair didn't count and was illegitimate, who are criminalizing healthcare, who haven't really voted for anything and they are taking us backwards. It's the first time in American history that rights are being taken away. You know, when Supreme Court precedents have been overturned in the past, they've been overturned in order to expand people's rights, right? We're gonna get rid of slavery. We're gonna have a Voting Rights Act that promotes people's ability to vote. All these things, bigger and bigger, you can use contraception, you can marry whoever, and all that is now threatened. So whenever people are whining about the Democrats, I say, you know who's preventing what you want from happening? The 50 Republicans in the Senate who never vote for anything that matters to the American people. So we need to keep getting that message out there. And we're seeing evidence that that message is breaking through. We see it in the congressional generic ballot. And for people who don't know what that is, is that's a poll regularly done that asks American voters, if you had a choice of a candidate who was a Democrat or a Republican who was running for Congress, who would you pick if that's all you knew about them? Typically when the president's numbers are sinking, you'll see the generic ballot also tip towards the party out of power. That is not happening right now. The generic ballot has been close all along. Republicans have been ahead. And since Roe, Democrats are now creeping in um, to be ahead. 
And so that is not evidence of a wave election. You know, all this talk about how the Republicans are just gonna take over everything. It, it's just not being borne out by what we see. In addition, we're ahead in the polls in the Senate races in seven out of eight of the swing races. Now, a lot can change between July and November. I'm not saying that's predictive of November, but it's certainly not looking like a bloodbath for the Senate. Um, it's looking like it's gonna be very close. And the, the one other thing, uh, well, two other things if I can add. So independents who we need to win over tend to go for the party who seems less extreme. And when they have successfully painted Democrats as socialists who want to defund the police, then we look like the extremists. But when the other side wants a 10-year-old to a rape victim to have to carry a pregnancy to term, those guys are the, the extremists. And so that's, you know, that's the situation we're in right now. And, and finally, I'll say that the anti-MAGA movement fueled the largest turnout we've ever seen in elections in 2018 and 2020. And that anti-MAGA sentiment is still really high. And I think getting higher since the Supreme Court cases and the shootings. Um, and so if that stays high, then turnout is gonna be good for the Democrats. Even this extremely hot summer, I think is, uh, Yes. deeply implicates the Republicans who seem completely unwilling to pass any legislation to protect the future of the earth. We're living it. And I'm seeing so much, especially among young people, like existential fear uh, that, that the time is running out for making changes and legislative and uh, policy-based changes to support um, climate protection. That That's one other issue area I would put really high on the list, especially um, in mobilizing young people. Yeah, exactly. Well, and you know, you're so right, kind of the overview of it, it's the Democrats aren't running against the almighty, the Democrats are running against the alternative and the alternative in this case are the Republicans who are doing all the things you're talking about, voter suppression, anti-democracy, they wanna control women's body, take away, uh, reproductive rights, they want to take away gay rights. Um, and, you know, they're denying there is climate problem, even as the world burns, literally, you've got 100 million Americans now in this uh, extraordinary heat wave, and it's, it's getting worse. So, uh, so we need to say, this is what we're up against, we need to get more Democrats in who understand this and will get more done. And by the way, you're right, we haven't, uh, Democrats have not sung the song of their achievements very well. The Republicans are pushing this problem of the inflation and the rising cost, and you got 8% inflation eating away at your paycheck. The Democrats need to push back and go, well, you know what? We have a job. You're losing maybe 8% out of your paycheck. But you have a paycheck. The unemployment rate is only 3.6%. It's at historic lows, which means pretty much anybody who wants a job now can get a job. Wages are rising. So your, your money is going up. So you've got the income. You've got wage increases. You can absorb some of this inflation. 
and then keep going. But if you put the Republicans in, they're like, they, they're all about the corporations taking the money, they're blocking fair taxes. We're trying to get, the Democrats are trying to get fair taxes to the corporations like uh, Amazon. Um, <laughs> and, and Jeff Bezos is making like $100 billion and paying no federal taxes. Like, no, we got to be getting the fair taxation in to fund the programs that help with the climate change and help fund the healthcare and everything else for the good schools, everything that we need. So I love the focus you've got on focus on the achievements. And um, speaking of achievements, uh, let's talk a little about the achievements of Crimson Goes Blue. You've had this very effective model. Talk a little bit, like let you sing your song. Um, what are the achievements of Crimson Goes Blue in the short time that you've been around? Shall I start? Sure. Well, Lisa. <laughs> um, so we've grown to 1,500 members, and I would say that that's a small portion of the Harvard alumni community, but indicative of the interest of people. Uh, we have raised, um, well, we have a goal to raise a, a million dollars through the Blueprint Fund. We are now their single largest, already their single largest fundraising group we have i think uh, we're, we're the we're the largest giving circle giving circle yeah. yeah i think we're building certain really exciting models that we're starting to share with others for instance um a small team of our volunteers built a mock kind of an algorithm to help identify where to pour one's energy for um, election integrity um, because it's different in other in every state, so we're providing guidance to other groups about how to do that, and we're still trying to figure out exactly how to uh, measure this. But we do believe that, given the fact that we've worked really, really hard to be very strategic about what races we're involved in, whether it's through time or money, that we will be able to say that we have contributed to the certain victories come the midterms. I mean, that's the goal we've set for ourselves. And I guess last but not least, we are really conscious of the fact that we, as far as we know, are the, um, we're sort of the first model for alumni engagement and political and political organizing, really democracy protection more broadly. And there's been a lot of excitement, honestly, among other Harvard um, alums to think about ways they might be, we might be able to work more broadly with the college to think about its role in democracy building and also to start to um, replicate and help other uh, alumni groups, especially, and perhaps other groups that are, have some sort of shared affinity to build similar models because we know that people do more, give more, and involve more other people when they can do this in community. Did I miss anything, Janet? I, I think you pretty much covered it. We should probably give a, a shout out to Eleanor, who's, yes. who's the first yes, uh, exactly. attempt to, to replicate in some way, getting a Yale group off the ground. 
Um, but we really see that there's potential and, and you know, we, there's been a lot of learning along the way. <laughs> we thought we were just a Facebook group and we were gonna end when we got Trump out of office. So what we've been building since then, there's a lot of trial and error that goes on to figure out what do our members want to do? How do we organize them? Um, finding leaders who can lead the many teams that we have, right? Each state we're working in has a team that's working on that. And we try and bring our members in to say, hey, Pennsylvania's where it's at. You know, why don't you focus here? Um, we, the community aspect has been so important from the beginning. And it was frankly quite easy when it was just the class of 84. A lot of us knew each other. We were a ready-made community. As we grow, we've had to think about how do you keep people feeling like they're, they know each other and they're part of a community? And we've been doing that by you know, having leaders for each class, by having leaders in the different states that we're working in so that you can be part of something that's a little smaller than the whole membership, um, which has helped people. So there, there's a lot of things we're, we're figuring out and that hopefully we have figured out um, that we, we are eager to share once we, we get through this election. <laughs> um, I also just want to mention that we have intentionally created a set of principles, including the notion that we want to build a big tent of members. And so we've made becoming a member a very, very simple, free process. It takes a minute because what we really want to do is, cap, is say, if you're interested, whether you have a lot of time or a little, whether you're an experienced activist or somebody who cares, but is starting for the first time, you are welcome here. And we've tried to build a menu of opportunities that reflect um, people's interests and their availability. Um, and, and sometimes that's hard, honestly. Janet and I go back and forth a lot. I'm like, we're running this restaurant where we have 40 meals. And she'll say, but we need 40 meals because our members have varying uh, you know, degrees of capacity, et cetera. And because there's a lot of ways to influence these elections. So I think we've been very intentional um, to, to build a broad menu. And we're gonna probably learn what other where we can make the greatest impact and where um, there's the greatest interest, but that's the kind of magic intersection that we're trying to um, understand more. Right, well, I appreciate the shout out. Uh, yes, I am a graduate of Yale and I've been trying to set up a similar group, um, Yaleys for Democracy uh, called Truly Blue on Facebook. So uh, I know firsthand how exciting and challenging it is to do what you're doing and um, you're way ahead of the track on me. So I'm hoping we can kind of catch up and eventually surpass <laughs> what you awesome. guys are doing. I know you'd be thrilled if we do. That's, that would be amazing. So you know, there's so many groups we work with and I always say to them, you know, we're all on the same team here. Right. You, know, you have a way to get people involved because whatever, whatever it is, get them involved. We need so many people to participate. And I know early in our early days, I, I was so obsessive about, well, which state should we choose? Is North Carolina really the right state? And somebody said to me, you know what, Janet, there are so many states that need so much help. You know, don't pick the ones where you can't win. We're not having a big presence in South Dakota, you know, but 
among the ones where there's competition, there's a lot of choice and it, it doesn't matter so much, you know, pick one and work on one and really get in and, and make a difference there. Right, exactly. And as you know, with the Yaleys, we're focusing on the secretary of state races just to have, figure we could have some impact on some of the top five races for secretary of state. And that's what we're focused on as we're coming out of the gate. Um, I have friends, uh, family members who are graduates of other colleges. They're kind of interested in this. Um, what would you say to someone uh, who wants to organize their uh, alumni, the graduates of their school? Um, what would you like to add that you haven't already said specifically on organizing graduates of your school? Janet, you want to start? <laughs> I'm happy to start. Sure. Um, I think, you know, starting small, like the way you've done it, you've chosen a focus. I think start with your class and the classes around it, because those are the people you know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people you know will return your phone calls and, and come. You know, Lisa and I actually didn't know each other in college, but we met at the reunion. And just having that in common really um, bonded us and, and our initial growth started there. And then it branches out, but you know, you, you got to start where you start. Um, yeah. Build from strength. I think Facebook is not only free, but a fantastic platform for organizing. I mean, we, without that, we might never have gotten started. It's free and it's commonly used, especially I'd say among people who graduated in the you know, 70s, 80s and 90s. Um, it also turns out that there are quite a few people who um, have the flexibility to provide real volunteer leadership. In, Janet and I are the only full-time paid staff, but there is absolutely no way we could have accomplished what we've done to date if it weren't for people who volunteered to build our website and run our database and um, organize all these different action teams and do the class captaining. So, I, I think um, it's a different model than say setting up a you know, working environment where you're like, I have to hire X number of people. No, you can get this started with you know, core leadership team and some great volunteers who have passions and talents around some of the organizing work. Um, that's been a really wonderful kind of epiphany. I would say when you get started, um, to have some kind of focus. I actually think we benefited from starting in you know, initially two and then three states because people built an identity around, for instance, ongoing work on the, uh, you know, the North Carolina phone bank. And each time we gathered, we didn't just go straight into phone banking. We had a chance to do some community building and touching base. And then we'd always debrief and talk about what we learned. And also people were just really inspired to share stories. I would never underestimate the power of stories mm -hmm. of seeing what a difference they were making. It's kind of an epiphany for a lot of people to learn how difficult it is to vote in some places and how much help you can provide through your sheer the leadership and the guidance. Janet always tells a story about talking to a man and she said, well, are you planning to vote tomorrow? And he's like, well, yeah, I'm going to vote on the internet. And she just said, 
actually, you know, can't vote by internet, but that's just one of many stories of right. ways that we can be kind of coaches for our citizens who are on the ground who have a desire, but don't necessarily have the kind of information and guidance that they need that we can be the ambassadors or guides for. It was a source of a lot of inspiration for our members and I think a catalyst for their continued involvement. It was a very, even for me, it was like, oh, wow, you know, in a blue state, these are not our issues, but boy, in red states or purple states, that sort of one-to-one -one guidance is powerful. Right. Well, and you're so right about the power of stories. And speaking of which, I'd like to talk a little bit about each of you and your stories of how you got involved in doing this work. And Jen, I wanna start with you. Um, I connected with you because I was interested in organizing Yaleys and I saw you were on some Yale website talking about organizing uh, the Harvard people. And you're a graduate of Harvard College, a graduate of the Yale School of Nursing. You worked as a nurse midwife for 30 years how did you get from nurse midwife to helping save America? Well, um, you know, I, I've been a lifelong activist and I think being a nurse midwife, you know, you're always kind of challenging the mainstream way of looking at things. And so I was always a political animal and I just, I eat, sleep and breathe politics. I just have always loved it. And I, I was involved in my first campaign when my best friend's mother ran for mayor of our town when I was in eighth grade. Um, so that really inspired me. But I think it, it's, people are surprised to hear this, but the work that I did as a midwife is so similar to this work, which is talking to people finding the things that matter to them and helping them find their way to becoming a political activist. And this individualized care, I mean, that is the hallmark of midwifery. And the same is true when I talk to voters, it's very similar to how I talk to pa patients. You know, I wanna know what matters to people and how we can give them what they need, whether it's midwifery care or helping them get to the ballot box. So there, there really is a lot of overlap, yeah. That's fascinating. And uh, Lisa, you're in the same class, graduate of Harvard. Um, uh, you've also got a degree from the Harvard Kennedy School of Government and did a lot of work with nonprofits and leadership development. Um, but you were not active politically. Uh, so how did you get involved in this political work to save America? Yeah. Um... I came to believe that the having seen you know, close up the critical uh, role that good policy made in building pathways of opportunity, especially for young people, um, in building AmeriCorps, which is where I kind of got my a lot of my social entrepreneurship training. You know, without the right, with the right leaders, so many things can happen, whether it's in ed reform. Um, I, I mean, I could make a long list, but I decided like at this time in our history, the area that I, the way that I could use the experiences I'd had and moving from kind of a big idea to creating movement building organizations would be best used by getting the right leaders into place so that all the other things we care about could happen. Um, so that's kind of in a nutshell. I'm also the child of um, my parents were both 
refugee uh, children from Germany, from the Nazis. So I think we always talked about patriotism as believing the country was not perfect, but that it was perfectible. And so I think I've had just, you know, in my early DNA interest in, in kind of furthering the, the promise of this country. That's very powerful. And I totally share, you know, your view about what's critical right now is getting the right leaders in place to do what needs to be done. Yeah. As all of our problems can be solved if we get the right people in there making the right actions, but we, we don't have a lot of time to get it wrong. We need people who can get in and do the right thing and do it for the common good. And that has yeah. been exactly my motivation to be in politics and government um, for decades. That was exactly why I thought, oh, there's all these great things we could do if we get the right people in who are honest and competent and ready to go to work to do what's needed. So um, I totally love that. And uh, just before we sign off, um, remind our listeners, how can they find out more about your work? They can find us on our website, crimsongoesblue.org. And if you're a Harvard alumni, ever went to Harvard, taught at Harvard, have any connection there, please join us also on Facebook on our Crimson Goes Blue group. All right, uh, fantastic. Well, that's all the time we have. Janet Singer and Lisa Ulrich, thank you so much for being on All Together Now and thank you for being the Women's Brigade to Save America. <laughs> oh, thank, thank you, you Eleanor. <laughs> what an honor it is to talk to you. Thank you. Thank you. Listeners, in case you've missed any of these programs, they're available in our archives. If you want to learn more about Breakthrough Solutions, see my book, Breakthrough Solutions, How to Improve Your Life and Change the World by Building on What Works, with an introduction by the Dalai Lama. Our theme song is Let's Give Them Something to Talk About, sung by Bonnie Reed. I'll be back next Thursday. Thanks for joining us. This is Eleanor Lacane with All Together Now. Mm -hmm.